Security Excellence Through Education, Corporate Security University. LinkedIn with my good buddy, Amanda Lewis, who I affectionately call Andy because we've been, we've done some crazy things together and we'll talk a little bit about your experience, but our experience goes way back, uh, gosh, 10, 15 years maybe to you were an Intel analyst with the Coast Guard. I was a special agent in the Coast Guard. We worked drug smuggling and alien smuggling cases in California together. Um, and you made a transition to the private sector that took a long time. It did. And you had a lot of great experiences and you had some challenges along the way. And I'm going to start a new segment here uh, based inspired by you. That is what helped you in your transition and what hurts you in your transition. Tell us a little bit about that. We're going to dig in over the next couple of segments more about you and, and, and where you've been and what you've done, but I want to start there. What helped you? What hurt you? It's you. Perfect. So borrowed uh, generously from the We're Not Really Strangers game, which I think that we'll talk about a little That's bit right. later. Um, but I think that these these key questions are, are are really important. And I think that we we often talk about what help us, like the strategies that help us, but we don't always talk about sort of like that negative piece of it, like what hurt us. So, so I think first and foremost, the biggest thing that helped me was talking to people. This is like a key theme in kind of how I go about my life. But really, I think people and your contacts and the connections that you make, whether they're old friends of yours or new friends of yours, or just people that you sort of randomly talk, talk to or connect with on LinkedIn, are way often way more helpful than you expect them to be probably um, because they're strangers a lot of times. Um, I, I did a leadership course where one of my teammates contacted, we had to interview all of these sort of corporate leaders and he contacted the CEO of Delta to see if hmm. we could interview him, just complete cold call email. Like, hey, I'm doing this project. Would you mind talking to me about your leadership strategies? And the CEO of Delta like wrote back to him and was like, sure, you can interview me, like totally fine. So I think um, that's just so, uh, such a perfect story. There's so many people, like you particularly have connected me with individuals to say like, hey, if you're curious about this, you have questions, you want to know more about transitioning or what it's like in the private sector, like don't just take my word for it. Here are some of my contacts uh, for you to talk to and connect with. And I, I talked to people who had made the transition and were being very successful and talked to people who hadn't made it yet. Um, and all of those viewpoints were really helpful to me. So, um, you know, use your network. I think that that can be incredibly helpful. And all of those perspectives um, are going to be really helpful. The biggest thing that hurts is probably rejection. Right. Yeah, we, we lived that. Yeah. We, we, lived I, we I put you together with somebody and, and it didn't go as we thought it would have gone. No. And, and you know, it was just sort of an inter- informational interview. But I think the expectation was that it maybe was something more. And it's yeah. easy to take those personally. 
Um, but I think it's important to understand that it's not always personal. Um, but you can learn a lot from that experience, whether it's just the nuggets that you pull from that conversation or just understanding that not every connection you make is going to be one that resonates or one that sticks with you or one that's going to be immediately helpful to you in your career, even if you're making it as a career connection. Um, so I think that's that's probably the biggest one. Um, in terms of my process, in terms of like applying for jobs, like what helped me was yeah. really setting small goals. Okay. So once I started to go through the process and actually in earnest really think like, I'm going to apply for jobs. I'm going to apply for more than just the job that I have my heart set on that I applied for two or three times and didn't even get a call back on. Um, <laughs> you're questioning your life choices. Um, By doing that, uh, really creating a process that works for you and understanding that, you know, the biggest thing that's going to hurt you is your self-induced pressure. Like any pressure that you put in yourself is probably going to be way rougher than anything else. Yeah. Um, like it's easy to think like, I'm going to apply for this job. I have my heart set on it. Um, I, I look like I'm perfect for the role for what I'm looking at. I'm looking at other people who have similar roles. Maybe they have a similar background to me. I should be a shoe in. I talked to this senior executive at the company. It sounds really promising. Nothing. Right. right. Uh, and, and that hurts. Um, but you know, like these things, these things work out for a reason. You right? learn um, from that experience, right? You, you learn from it. And you know, you don't, you, you lose a hundred percent of the shots you don't make. That's right? right. So, and just cause it's not right now, doesn't mean it's not going to be right later. Right. Uh, Great point. So, you know, I think we have to make sure we're relaxing any self-induced pressure that we put on ourselves. Um, and really just like be patient with yourself. That's going to be a big helping factor looking at, Hey, you know, like it's a process understand, you know, you know, as well as I do that my process, even from the point that I started considering transitioning into the private sector was a year or more. Yeah. Um, and that's okay. That's and I right. have friends that are kind of considering it very loosely right now that are still in the government and they're not, they're clearly not ready to make the leap, but they're kind of side eyeing it and that's okay. And it might be a year or two years or five years before they get there because everyone's process and journey is unique. That's right. um, and so to kind of force yourself into an artificial timeline is really going to hurt you. I think in the long term. How, how did you um, first approach your desire, your interest in the private sector? Did you wake up one morning and be like, I, I got to get out of here or I, was there a sense of urgency or was this just natural progression of I'm interested? Let me find out more about that because you you're obviously you're analytical, right? That was your job for decades mm -hmm. in the in the in the government, I'll say more broadly. Um, it, but how did you initially how did that initially start for you? I think I hit a couple of pivotal things. So um, my first pivotal thing is the last job I was in. I was in for 10 years and it was the same position. And there was no upward mobility. There was no upward mobility. I did a lot to kind of change what I was doing within that position, within the bounds of that position description to kind of improve that process. Um, but at the end of the day, it was the same job, right? Mm -hmm. With more or less the same expectations. And um, it was becoming, I was a civilian, so I don't know if Scott prefaces this, I was a civilian for 
close to 15 years in the government and I started out of college. So that's my whole life that I knew. And I come from a military family. So military and government service is sort of the thing that's safest for me. It's safest feeling. And I think that that's something that I hear from a lot of people that work in the government or military, like that's their safe place to be. And so it's easy to stay within that comfort zone, but that, um, that makes it hard for you to grow, right? It's, it's when we step outside the bounds of our comfort zone that we grow. So, um, so two things. So one, I uh, got really frustrated with all of the military transferring in and out mm. um, because I felt like I constantly had to re-justify why people should listen to me. <laughs> and that's incredibly frustrating. Um, so uh, I won't go too deeply into it, but um, sexism still exists. That's mm. still a real thing. Um, obviously, a female, I was working in a very male-dominated industry. I was very fortunate to work with people that uh, it probably wouldn't have mattered if I was male or female who listened to me unquestioningly because of my position and because of the knowledge that I had to share but then I also had people that I had to justify myself to who were brand new, who were basing the information that they were using on information I had wrote, like I had written. And so that's really hard for me over time to, for over 10 years to like every three years re-justify that. So that was really kind of wearing down and wearing down and wearing. The other piece of that was I went to a leadership training yeah. where one of the greatest takeaways that I had was that it made me look at skills that I thought of as inherently me and not skills that I would have thought to put on a resume. Uh, I started to think of them as marketable skills. Because are. I looked around and I saw that, that there were all of these other people in sort of leadership and management positions that didn't have that or struggled with some of those skills, skills that came easy to me that I just thought of as part of my person and not part of my package. Um, and I started thinking like, oh gosh, those are marketable skills and they're never skills that you're gonna see in a position description, probably. Right. Um, certainly not in the government. No. Certainly, I would be surprised if I saw on USA Jobs, a job announcement that said something like, we're looking for great communicators with interpersonal skills for relationship management. Which is a perfect segment into our next, or segue into our next segment on your resume and building that the interview process and how you tie all that together about your around your brand i love the the discussion here we're going to keep it going like this share this comment below ask us questions because we want to help you and i are back we're talking about resumes and interviews but specifically i want to pull out um, that you you had a multi-step process that you went through uh, as you were making your transition out of the government, out of a military agency, into the private sector. Uh, let's talk about that a little bit more. Tell me about that process. Sure. I'm sure you've heard the, the phrase, you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Yeah. How do you boil the ocean? <laughs> so, um, so for me, you know, it was a multi-step process, and it was the sort of long process from the time I sort of really sort of loosely considering what would it would be like moving into the private sector to actually applying and then getting a job in the private sector. So um, so I kind of broke it down into a few steps. So first is sort of, you're just kind of feeling it out. Maybe I'm actually considering it. Uh, I think there's there was definitely a period in my government life where that was not something I considered. 
it was hard no, not on the table, just not something I was considering. So eventually that ice started to thaw, right? And then you're sort of, you're sort of looking out there. Um, and then sort of the next step was, okay, now I'm, I'm curious, right? Like, what would that look like? If I did make this transition, if I did try to make this leap, like, what would that look like? And so a key piece in that step, I think, is really talking to people, people who have made the transition, people who have not yet made the transition. We talked a little bit about that in our earlier segment. Um, really kind of using that network to really just kind of feel it out. What would that look like? Um, the other piece of that sort of the like next step or a parallel step in that process would be starting to look at jobs that are in the private sector. What do those jobs look like? What do those job announcements look like? And so, um, as you said, I'm an analyst. I have kind of like my process. So I am really good at keyword searches. So uh, I actually really liked LinkedIn. It was a huge resource for me when I was applying for jobs. So um, sort of my first step was I created a LinkedIn account. <laughs> that was actually a huge leap for me. It sounds really small, but um, for anyone who's watching who maybe doesn't have a LinkedIn account or, or sort of has not yet populated it, I feel you, I'm there. That's right. <laughs> um, uh, in government and military and, and especially in Intel, you have this tendency to hold things really close to the chest and not put it out there. But uh, if you're applying for the private sector, understand that that is going to be something that you kind of have to do. Um, so I created job searches, like keyword job searches in LinkedIn. And uh, I would go through and I would save jobs. So you can actually go through and save jobs and it kind of puts them in a save jobs file. Um, and then you can start to really look at jobs that are interesting to you um, based on those keyword searches. It's not going to be 100% of those jobs that come up in the keyword searches. Or the job title, too, right? Because right. the description is really what you're looking at. Is there a kind of a one-to-one -one skill advantage in the way you look at your position, current position, or current role versus where you, what might be interesting to you? Absolutely. And that's such an important point. Like your skills to what you ultimately do, especially moving from military government into the private sector, is not going to be one-to-one. Um, one example that we talked about is like if you're a machine gutter in the military, uh, you're probably not going to be a machine gutter in the private sector. That's probably maybe that's what you want to do, in which case, awesome. That's great. Um, there's a role for everybody. But probably you're, you're transitioning into something that's not literally machine gunning. So putting things like I'm really good at different kinds of bullets is probably not what you want to put on your resume. Right. So like looking at things like, okay, maybe you, you adapt really well in high stress uh, environments, or you um, respond really well in, uh, in, in sort of like with breaking news or, or responding really quickly to, to different kind of scenarios, like rapidly evolving scenarios, right? Um, right. You might've done that as a machine gunner, but you can also adapt those skills. Just look at um, uh, Jocko Willink's book, uh, yeah. <laughs> right? Like read some of Jocko's books um, because like they literally take Navy SEAL tactical stories and they say, okay, here are the lessons we learned from these very tactical scenarios that we actually experienced and how we apply those in a corporate world. Yep. Um, so uh, we can probably link one of those books down below. Definitely. Um, so, so finding those keyword searches, uh, creating those job alerts, and then figuring out what jobs appeal to you, so that you can either um, start applying to those and re-encapsulating your skills or re-describing your skills to match some of those, or to identify gaps because maybe your process is like mine and it takes a year or two for you to actually get to the point where you're That's applying. Right. 
but really kind of doing that sort of like intel prep and looking at what the gaps are in the uh, in the job description between what your skills are and and what skills they're requiring for the job to kind of make you a more competitive candidate. Um, looking at the trends that you're seeing in the jobs that are appealing to you, right? Like what what are they looking for? Like is there uh, an ASI? Like are they asking for AI ASIS membership? Like does that seem like something that is People who already that people who already have that job seem to have. Is it something that's in the job announcement? Is that a gap you can fill? Is that a one-off situation, or is that something that is sort of across the gamut of the jobs that you're interested in? Um, one thing that I think is a huge takeaway. We talked a little bit about some of the sort of pivotal moments in my starting, really starting my transition. Is I read Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg. Mm -hmm. uh, years ago. And one of the nuggets I took away was that women will typically apply for jobs that they meet 100% of the qualifications for, whereas men will typically apply for jobs that they don't meet 100% of the qualifications for. Like, maybe it's 50%, maybe it's 60%, maybe it's 70%. And, you know, that's not like gender exclusive, right? It's a spectrum. But if you recognize that you're one of those people who applies for jobs that you meet 100% of the qualifications for, Remember that you you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take. That's right. So by not putting yourself out there, you're eliminating yourself from competition for that position, right? You're really shortchanging your your own growth. Um, so if that resonates with you, like it resonated with me, that's something you can control. You can't. There's lots of parts of this process you can't control. You can't control somebody's right. resume. You can't control somebody's going to call you back. You can't control if you're going to be a good fit for that company. You can control whether or not you apply for that job, um, and if you if you do find that, let's say you're really lucky and you're being told that you're overqualified for jobs, maybe it's time to really kind of like look at that and not see that as an excuse to not hire you, but see it as a reason for you to start looking at, you know, maybe I am only applying for jobs I meet all the qualifications for. My understanding is that a lot of positions they want you to be able to grow in that position. So if you already meet everything. Where are you going to go? What are they going to teach you? Um, so that that was like a huge piece for me. And I think really was very freeing uh, in terms of my applying for jobs. And so you expanded off of that to, and, and what's great about your Facebook transition, the role that you currently have at Facebook is not the one, not a role that you had applied for. Is that no. correct? Yeah, it's fascinating. So I had applied for other roles at Facebook. Um which in retrospect, I'm, I'm a little glad I didn't get uh, because it is such a transition into Facebook. Uh, now I feel like I'd be a better fit for that. Um, but because you put yourself out there, you put your resume in the pile and then they can do keyword searches on your resume. And so the more you can kind of capture what your experience is in terms that they're using in the private sector, the more likely your resume is to pop out for maybe a role you wouldn't have considered applying for that you're actually a really good fit for. That's right. That's right. And which is a great place to, to uh, segue into our next segment, which is going to be interviews and 
that process and understanding uh, the relationship between the interviewer and the interviewee and, and learning about the culture, which is great because I think that's a good transition point here. So uh, definitely uh, ask us questions in the comment section below. We'll link to Jocko's book and we will link to uh, some, some resources for you that things that we've been talking about um, as well as Cheryl's book. But uh, great conversation. So we're going to pause here and, and come back for more in just a minute. Okay, back for another segment with Andy. Uh, we were just talking about those keyword searches and the one-to-one -one skills in those position descriptions as opposed to what your current role is. But how do you get all that into your resume? What's your resume going to look like? What are some of those things that we can, we can pull out of those positions and those job descriptions and we can apply that maybe in the resume somehow? How do you, how, what's your approach there? We talked about um, previously in our kind of our setup for this call, a lot of really good points here that I want to pull out in regards to value and um, the, the uniqueness and the impact and those kinds of things. But tell us a little bit more about uh, resume and, and how they can make that better to get these, get themselves in the door for that interview. Okay, perfect. So, um, so first of all, I hope that for jobs that you actually really want, where you're really tailoring your resume for that particular role, right? So just in a very no, general No, one resume, Andy, one resume for all. <laughs> yeah, okay, no. yeah. <laughs> Don't do that. That's right, from the fires of Mordor. <laughs> so, okay. so, uh, so at a very baseline level, applying for any job, tailor your resume and a key piece of this for me is i literally print out the resume highlight keywords think words think like specific things they're asking for highlight those and see if you can fit those keywords into your resume recapturing the things that the the experience and the knowledge that you have because again like we talked about with the machine guns like you're probably not going to put the machine gun thing unless you're actually applying for a role where you're like machine gunning something um you know maybe you're standing guard duty or you're you know like in a in a movie like where yeah, you're what are those soft skills? skills how do those well you <laughs> use the use the phrase what was it the verb or the action words that that uh, we focus on in government that does that really okay. apply in the private sector yeah so usa jobs announcements most of the ones i've seen are just a litany of of, of, of verbs so, you know, I wrote a lot of reports, so it would be like writes, reads, proofreads, analyzes, reviews, <laughs> blah, like this whole litany of to basically say, like, I wrote a bunch of reports and I oversaw them and I made sure that they met quality standards. So really looking at your skills, understand that what you're doing is not one to one. That's right. Um, take the intel that you've gathered from all of these sort of keyword searches and job announcements and try to recapture your skills, your resume using that language, right? So it may seem like a foreign language, but I think if you really look at your skills, you'll be able to recapture that with, with some of the same language that you're seeing in those job announcements. Um, the other piece that I see is write their skills one-to-one, -one, but I also see people uh, write what the job description is for their old job on their resume, right? Um, but they don't talk about their unique value. Like, what did you do in that position, right? There might have been five people doing that job. What did you do? 
And um, Scott, we've talked about wins, right? Like you, like like what are your my term, but I want to hear yours. I love it. (laughs) Um, But sometimes we have those. Sometimes we have really great wins. But sometimes our really great win is I just made all the widgets that I was told to make. I made sure the machine didn't break. I made sure that the process worked. I made sure that the troops got from point A to point B. I went and patrolled the streets, whatever it is, right? You met those expectations. That's a win and of itself. You made sure I the agree. process didn't Yeah, stop. it doesn't have to be I was the, the officer of the year every year that I was employed. It can be, you know, the, the, the positive things. It's a positive thing to do your job successfully. You don't have to, if you can't encapsulate that you were the greatest thing since sliced bread, okay. But how, but, but that's your, you know, that those are um, positive impacts that you did your job. You supported your troops. You did what was necessary in law enforcement, whatever that is. It doesn't have to be, I I did this great thing. I had more arrests than anybody else or whatever. Yeah. You're not, yeah. You're not always going to say like, I, and maybe we don't want people arresting people 50%. Right. Maybe we don't want that, right? So, let's focus on the soft skills. <laughs> so um, so the, one of the key pieces for me that we talked about earlier is I looked at my soft skills, my internal skills as something that's marketable. Because, you know, I worked with a lot of other people doing the same things that I was doing more or less, right? But everybody does it in a slightly different way. So everyone lends their own unique value. So I encourage you to think about what unique value you brought to that position. Like, whether that's something that was in the position description or not, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and capture the impact of what you did, right? Like I said, maybe the impact is just that you made sure everybody got from point A to point B or made sure all the widgets were made or whatever that is. Um, that's an impact in and of itself. The process right. didn't stop, right? You enabled everyone to do the thing that they're supposed to do. Um, and that's value in and of itself. So but how you did it might be very different. The way that different police officers go about their jobs, even though their core responsibilities are the same, might be very different just because we're all different individuals. And it's easy to look past that, I think, when everyone's dressed the same. Mm. But we are all individuals, right? And so we all have unique value to bring to that. Um, if we could pivot to interviewing. A yeah, how bit. does that translate then to the interviewing process? Yeah, so, so we've got our resume. We've rewritten it sort of in line with the the job that we're applying for using private sector language. Um, If I can uh, have a a point that is maybe less popular, um, if you are a one resume, like I want one kind of general resume, throw that at the jobs that you're putting in for but maybe don't care for so much. Um, Just to put it in there to get your resume in the pile. So have a kind of general resume and then you can tailor that. In terms of an interview, culture is such an important piece of that because, again, we are all individuals. Even if we come from similar backgrounds or similar educational histories or experience uh, sort of histories, we're all very different individual people. And it's okay if you're not a good cultural fit for that company. It's okay. There'll be another one. There's a role for everyone, right? That's right. we tend to look at interviews, and I think a lot of people have a lot of fear about interviews because they're afraid of being rejected, and what does that mean about me? But it doesn't necessarily say anything about you. It may be about them, right? Like we always say like, oh, it's not you, it's them, or <laughs> it's not you, it's me, right? Um, when you're interviewing, 
capturing your impact, talking about your skills, but you should also be interviewing your interviewer. What is the work life like? Like, do they want input from kind of like worker bees, like lower level jobs? Like, do they want that? Or is this more of a top down sort of organization, right? So we have sort of those two different methodologies. Um, what what are the expectations in terms of that? Should I expect to kind of sit back and relax for and, and just learn before my input is valued? Or are you going to want that right away, right? Um, it's job interviews are a bit like dating, right? And uh, so it's not about whether one partner wants the other. It's about are you a good match together? Um, and I think that that's that's a fear that inhibits a lot of people from applying for jobs because they just don't want to be rejected. And, and it, I think that's a great point in the interview process. You really have to let your true light shine. Don't try and pretend to be something that you think they want. That will never work out. Be uh, Facebook language. We both work for Facebook. Be your authentic <laughs> self. Your authentic self. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, that which is a great place to kind of pause because in the next segment we're going to talk about that work-life balance. Once you've landed the job, what that means in a pandemic because a lot of the folks that, that are transitioning or considering transitioning are doing so now, currently, right now, and they're get, they're getting those opportunities. They're going to be interviewing. And something that is uh, unique to your experience is you've never been to MPK or to the Menlo Park offices at Facebook. And so the you closest, don't know what that experience is like. The closest I got is when you and I went and took a picture by the thumbs up sign. Oh, okay. We did do that. That's right. <laughs> That's <the laughs> so we're going to talk about that. Yeah. But that, because that's a challenge, right? And, and so let's, let's explore that a little bit more here in this next segment. So stay tuned. Back on with Andy, and we've talked about a lot of things, Andy. We've really talked about kind of from your transition, your experiences, how you were searching for roles, how you uh, recreated yourself and your brand and crafted resumes. You also, I should say, help people with their resumes. I know you've, you've talked about that in the past, um, and you've you've seen a lot of uh, a lot of good and a lot of things that need to be changed. Uh, we talked about the interview process as almost like a dating process, and you're trying to figure out, are we going to be a good match? Not, am I going to work for you, or are you going to work for me? It's it's really a partnership. And uh, let's pivot that into talking about now you're in the environment, you're in the organization. How do you stay successful? How do you transition in the midst of a pandemic? What are some of those things that you've learned because you've done it? You've literally... Uh, started at Facebook when uh, six months ago, something like that, right? Yeah, seven, uh, seven or eight months ago. Yeah, so um, it's actually really my whole process has been completely in line with the pandemic. Um, I got called. I don't know if I've told you this, but I got called the night before the morning I was leaving to fly up for a same day interview, and mm-hmm. I got called at seven or eight o'clock at night by my recruiter saying, "Do not get on a plane." Our entire company is going remote tomorrow. Surprise. Yeah, surprise. Don't come to so MPK. My, my entire process has been completely virtual. Um, so it's been really unique and really has had a lot of really unique challenges as part of that. Uh, the interview process was maybe not as challenging in some ways because there is that kind of shield of the video, um, which, ha- which has its own shortcomings, sort of which we'll address later. But. Um, 
and I, and I got more sleep that before my interview, which was really nice. Um, <laughs> uh, and obviously it didn't impede me too much, but, um, but really starting in a new company completely remotely, you just sort of wake up one day and then you're at work, like working remotely. And that's a weird thing. I was in my same apartment. I stopped working for the Coast Guard one day. I started working for Facebook the next day. And then it was like, oh, I work for Facebook now. That's neat. Uh, now what do I do? You've, uh, you've still probably never met your team, never met your manager in person. I've never I mean, met you've met them virtually, right? I met them virtually. I met a handful of members of my team incidentally because I ended up being able to move to the Bay Area. And some okay. of I live in the East Bay, and some of them also live in the East Bay. So we've Good. met up, distanced outside a couple of times, but only a fraction, like a handful of members of my team just on our own time. So, um, and I'm really fortunate to have those experiences, but like not everybody's going to have those. So it, it's, it's honestly, it feels kind of weird. Like going to the government every day, going to an office every day, whether or not it's a new job or an old job, like helps you feel like part of the team. Um, whereas right now my, my office mate is my, my cat. So yeah, <laughs> Merlin. <laughs> uh, Merlin, my kitty cat. So, um, so that's a huge challenge. So how do I integrate into the team? And so there were a lot of challenges when I first came on board and I, and some of that is just the world, right? The, the world in a pandemic, you have to have the sort of baseline resilience to be able to deal with that baseline stress. And then there's the stress of having a new job and trying to integrate into a new team. And that's already hard. It's already hard when you transfer to a new a new station or a new office, even within your organization. Like that's already a new environment and it's already a, a sort of baseline level of stress. So now we've got sort of two shells of stress, right? right. Um, and then on top of that, we're all remote, right? So you have to learn your whole new job remote. You have to meet your whole new team remotely. And you don't get this opportunity to kind of build relationships in the same way that you do in the office. Um, so one book that I really, uh, that I really like is, um, Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. Okay. She talks about this marble jar analogy and, and the long and short of it is that we invest in people through small moments. And so we put marbles in their jars and they put marbles in our jars, uh, as sort of like little banks, right. That we're building through these small moments. And these moments can be relatively insignificant, but these are the moments that we're missing when our whole worlds are virtual right now. And so it might be as simple as uh, you see a little baby Yoda or a little like, you know, Boba Fett on somebody's desk and you start saying like, oh, hey, like I see your baby Yoda. Uh, did you see the episode of The Mandalorian the other day? Like, I love to watch that. Like, that's so fun. And you don't have that now. Not in COVID world. You don't have that. Uh, and even if you did, it's hard to find the opportunities to have those conversations. Mm. Just so many of our conversations are so transactional. Mm. Uh, you and I have been, been fortunate today in that we kind of chit-chatted before and kind of caught up, and, and you and I have an ongoing sort of dialogue generally, but not everybody has that. And you don't always have that with your new team, especially in a, in a sort of fast-paced tech company where everyone's very busy all the time. That's right. uh, it's not all, you know, pool tables and slides or whatever they have the problems right. that I have never been to, so I don't know. Ping pong, ping pong and pool tables. <laughs> so like, I don't, I don't know what that's like. Um, I've, I'll tell you, like I've never worked this hard before. Uh, it's mm. incredibly challenging, and and part of that is relationship building, but part of that's learning your new job and learning it. Um, and 
so an integral piece is still work-life balance, right? We don't yes. have to divide. That's a huge issue. Um, and that's been sort of one of my lessons for 2020. And I'm sure that's not unique to people that are, uh, to, whether they're taking new jobs or whether they're in their old job, but now working it from home, like work-life balance is a challenge. Um, but it's an extra challenge if you don't already have those boundaries set because you're starting a new job. Um, within the team, um, you know, it's a struggle sometimes. So struggling, making relationships with your teammates is a struggle. Um, and that, that makes it hard for you to be resilient in that, in that role. So um, one of the things that we've done, we, we talked about this in the very first segment, sort of what's helping you, what's hurting you, is um, my team and I, with one of my girlfriends that I made on the team, we started running through these games of we're not really strangers. Which I'm sure it's on, on LinkedIn somewhere, but it's on, it's on Instagram. Okay. Um, it's all these little cards that are conversation starters that can help kind of spark these conversations. So we, we had voluntary, dedicated time to connect with one another. Okay. And some of those sessions have been very successful. Some of them have been less successful. Um, but really having that dedicated, structured kind of container of time to connect with teammates whether you're immediate team or, or beyond that. And just like setting, if we're gonna have transactional time, let's make that our transaction. And our transaction is not meetings or work or a project. It's a set time to connect with each other. Um, and if you go on Instagram, they have all these cards kind of uh, out there. So um, uh, these ones are like a lot of loved ones, but one of them is what's helping you, what's hurting you right now. and. You know, that can take it how you want it, um, but that can really help you to make those connections that you're missing because you can't comment on your neighbor's baby Yoda. Right. One of the other pieces is you have to really be patient with yourself and allow yourself to learn. Um, give yourself that time and be compassionate to yourself. Uh, one of the other books, or uh, Brene Brown, which we talked about, one of her kind of key tenets is radical vulnerability. And I believe in this really strongly. This is sort of something that I've, I've adopted and, and really advocate for. And really that's having the strength to admit to your own vulnerability and share your struggles. And so um, this, this is really helpful because you can do this a little bit and we're not really strangers and you actually see it live because as each person opens up a little bit and shares a little bit of their vulnerability, maybe it's what's hurting, maybe, maybe it's something else, maybe it's uh, what do I fear most right now, right? Um, you know, maybe it's I fear failure. Whether this is in your team or outside, each little piece that you share of that vulnerability lends strength to the next person, to the next person, to the next person. Um, and it lets you know that you're not alone. We've seen this on a smaller scale in the military as we become much more open in our dialogue about PTSD and what that looks like and what the effects are and it's okay and we will address it and it's okay because you're not alone. Um, you're not the only one struggling from the things that you've experienced and you've seen. Um, and so we're, even if it's not PTSD, we're having those, those kind of experiences and sharing them really makes you more resilient because you know that you're not by yourself, you're not on an island. Well, and that's what we're trying to do here on LinkedIn with this with this conversation, or I'm posting it on LinkedIn, but this is just a conversation we can have with each other no matter what. Same background, same experiences, same challenges uh, in transition, 
And even when you now have transitioned and you have the job, finding those allies is so important. I think you, you make great points in that I think emotional vulnerability leads to emotional resiliency. And no matter where our folks that are watching this and are in transition or considering it are in their life, that's the roadmap. Being open to learn, being open to make mistakes, those are all healthy things. Those are all things that we should be talking about. And to your point about what we're covering and what we're talking about in the military 20 years ago, we weren't talking about. We are now, um, which is a great, great place to kind of pause here. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on and talking with us, Andy. Uh, obviously, you know, I've been there for you throughout your transition and will continue to be there through your success in the private sector and your success. I was there for your success in the public sector and in government. Um, but I want people to know that they can reach out to you and know you're out there um, posting and sharing and, and commenting. Uh, but I also want people to comment below, ask us questions. Both Andy and I will comment uh, back and, and, and keep this conversation going. So thanks, Andy, for sharing with us. Absolutely. If I can plug one more thing, if we have time. Shoot. So part of going into the private sector, especially from the public sector, and touching on that emotional vulnerability, you lead into imposter syndrome. We, we probably don't have time Great to point. go into it really deeply, um, but I encourage you to research it. There's a, a new book that came out called Own Your Greatness. And at its core, imposter syndrome is feeling like, oh, maybe they picked me, but maybe I'm not good enough and I'm going to get seen out, seen out as an imposter. And it's so easy to fall into that when you're falling into a new role in a new group, in a new company in a new team, especially if you don't have that support. And so sharing your emotional vulnerability and sharing that like feeling of imposter syndrome, I think you'll find that other people feel that as well. Yeah, so, you're not alone. You're not alone. I mean, you, you know, one day you you were told what to wear, what, how to show up, where to go, what, what your roles and responsibilities were, it was very clear. And now you go in transition private sector and it's not. So you're saying with imposter syndrome, it's, Hey, do I belong in this new organization? Is that what the challenge that you're that you're finding, or that that, that is in imposter syndrome? Um, I think my greatest challenge is uh, especially looking at: Am I the right person for this? Did they pick me? Maybe they picked the wrong person. Maybe they thought I was better than I am. Like this is hard. But you know what? Starting a new job is hard. It's hard. It's a lot for you to learn. And yeah, it's especially career. in a pandemic, in a yeah. new career where you've kind of reinvented yourself or and, and hopefully reinvent yourself in a way that's authentic to you, not in mm -hmm. a way that is, is false to you. Right. That's right. Um, finding those opportunities for growth. But understand that, like other people are, are have struggled with that, too. And so sharing that you're experiencing that sense of like, do I belong? Is this right for me? Maybe they picked the wrong person. Maybe maybe they just hired me to be nice. Probably none of those things are true. And I've been well, listening to this book, Own Your Greatness, and they talk yeah. about some of the positive factors that cause that. Well, you went through that a, a bit yourself in that you're like, oh, my gosh, did I make a terrible mistake? I did. And, <laughs> and, and how did you work through that? How, how did that how was that impactful to you? And, and what did you do to, to kind of change that? So I've been really lucky in that my team has been very supportive. 
and um, and that I've I've been able to kind of form my allies with other new people who have experienced the same kind of completely remote environment that I have. Um, being able to be emotionally vulnerable and finding those allies for us to have that safe space and that safe container to really share our struggles with each other so that we know that we're not alone has been hugely impactful for me. It's mm-hmm. been really empowering. It's allowed me to really feel the things that I'm feeling, share them with other people, know that I'm not alone. And if it's not just me, clearly I'm not the imposter, right? right? If this is a shared experience and you can share that with other people, like you're you're right for that job. Like at Facebook, you have to go through how many interviews to get there. Oh, sure. Right? Yeah. And so you're there because they believe that you have value to share. And um, and so it's okay to feel the imposter syndrome and, and let that well up, but just don't let it control you. Just acknowledge that it's there. Share it with other people. Find those people you can be emotionally and radically vulnerable with. And And I think you'll find that, you know, we all have those struggles throughout our lives um, and, and, and just sort of move forward. Take the challenges and the lessons that you've learned and the things that you have um, found work for you and share them with other people because they're going to experience the same things. That's why we're doing this, right? That's right. Um, nobody's alone. Nobody's alone. And I think and the more you can cha- channel your experiences and your challenges and your lessons learned into yeah. actionable um, mm-hmm. pieces for other people, to let them know they're not alone and here's the things that they can do about it. I think that that, like for me also, that helped me move forward and through some of the things that I was feeling because at least I knew I was doing something with it. It was an experience. And giving back, right? Giving back helps too when you're talking with folks and about their struggles and their transition. And I mean, kind of what we're doing here, we're trying to help and but you personally have gone out there and helped people specifically. Sorry, mm-hmm. dogs. Um, you've gone out and sp- helped people specifically with their transition and some of their individual challenges, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you feel I'm, like that's helped? I think so. I think I think so, absolutely. I think that I've um, channeling some of those experiences into uh, actionable items to improve the process has been really helpful mm. for me, too. And I've, like I said, had a really supportive team that has enabled me to do that. Um and has listened to some of those suggestions and said, okay, cool. The danger is um, then you then you have to act on it. So hopefully you'll <laughs> yeah, be ready. And, yeah. um, and I'm happy to do that. So it, it works out. Um, but I, I, you know, we, we, we talk about technically upscaling people, like re- helping them reach the technical level to achieve their jobs. But I think in a pandemic environment, a work from home environment, I think it's the emotional component of that is also so important really checking in for people. And that's not a popular thing to talk about in the military, except for sort of like uh, objectively very critical stress, you know, sort of stress incidents, right? We call it like critical incident stress management, right? So um, except in those scenarios where we recognize people need emotional support. But the reality Mm -hmm. is we need emotional support in all kinds of other ways. And with all of these layers of resilience that we need, like resilience for the world, for the pandemic and resilience for sort of starting a new job and, you know, resilience for trying to like figure out how am I going to find this like work-life balance when I have no real boundaries right now. Um, really talking about those things and uh, and kind of setting yourself up is, is going to be really key. 
Yeah, no, these are great points. And, and uh, you know, what I've always said is uh, don't go it alone. And I think that's what we're talking about here is, is um, make yourself available, share your experiences with others. Um, you're, it, the, these are not your unique experiences. They may feel like that initially, but when you start talking through them, you'll find that there are other people that have gone through it and had different, maybe different uh, paths to that challenge. But all these things that we're talking about can be overcome in a positive way and can be beneficial to you and to people in the long run. Absolutely. Uh, so I appreciate you sharing that. Super important to include here imposter syndrome and that that is something that they may experience, but it can be overcome. Mm -hmm. And I, I really think that uh, uh, the, your process is uh, going to be helpful to folks here in, in the future. So thank you for sharing that, Andy. This has been a great conversation. Let's keep the comments uh, going. Let's keep the conversation going. We want people to share this. We want people to to uh, have a positive outcome uh, with their transition. And this is just part of that process. So thank you, Andy, for sharing with us and, and continuing the conversation. Absolutely. Thanks, Scott. Security Excellence Through Education, Corporate Security University.